Hi, I'm the self-development coach, Johnny Lawrence, and welcome to the Self-Development Podcast. Say if you're just thrown into homelessness, people might turn to like drugs and drink as a coping mechanism to survive being on the streets. You know, you might find that, you know, you look at people that obviously come over here to get a better life and they might not initially get the help they need and then they end up on the streets. Um, and it must be it must be terrifying for them that they might find themselves in a situation where this might be a coping mechanism for them. Hi, I'm the self-development coach, Johnny Lawrence, and welcome to the Self-Development Podcast. Today is going to be a really, really beautiful episode, I'm sure of it, because today I'll be chatting with the inspiring Amber Lights. Amber is the founder of Amber Lights in Oxford, which was created in memory of her sister, Hannah. Hannah was her big sister who never failed to make her laugh and was always there when she was struggling. From late 2015 through to 2017, Hannah's struggle saw her seek the help of multiple homeless charities within Oxfordshire, including Homeless Oxfordshire. During this time, she sought comfort in the services they provided and began to rebuild her life. Sadly, Hannah passed away in 2017. In Hannah's memory, Amber Lights in Oxford were set up to support the homeless Oxfordshire and the fantastic work they do. Homeless Oxfordshire is the largest supported accommodation provider for homeless people in Oxfordshire. Each night they accommodate over 200 people. Alongside this, they provide day services of hot food, clothing, toiletries and welfare facilities to over 550 individuals who access the services throughout the year. Today, Amber and I are discussing homelessness and the stigma, judgment and misunderstandings that surround the situation, which could honestly happen to anybody at any time for any reason. This is a really important topic. Amber, how are you today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. We're just talking about how hot it is already. Yeah, (laughs) unbelievable. (laughs) For those that don't know, we are recording in England. We haven't seen this thing called the sun. We've only heard about it. And and, uh, it's it's knocked us for six. You know, the whole country shut down. It's just like, what's going on? We complain about everything. (laughs) But yeah, it's rain next week, so we better get a complaining ready for the rain. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's going to (laughs) happen. But um, yeah. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. We we sort of met in a really in a really crazy way. I don't know whether I need to give away any secrets here, but you have intentions, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I was seeking a little bit of advice, and then we've just sort of rolled into this, which is really good. Yeah, I mean, uh, podcasting is a great platform for like letting people know about things, you know, and to sort of spread messages and to you know, I don't know, talk to people who are in certain mm-hmm. industries, get more knowledge and all that sort of thing. So. It's a really lovely way to do it. I mean, people might be confused and say, hey, Johnny, homelessness, what's that got to do with self-development? But I think that's what you're going to cover. <laughs> because yeah. it's about, you know, it, like I said just now, it can happen to anybody. It really can. And that's the bit that we're going to highlight today as well. So, I mean, would you be kind enough to start by sharing yours and Hannah's story with us? Yeah, of course. So, um. Hannah was my big sister. There was um, 16 years between us. So I was the annoying little sister for quite a period of time in her life. Um, But we were always really extremely close. Um, She just, no one has has ever made me laugh as much as Hannah. We used to be like in tears in the conservatory laughing. And my mum would be like, I can hear you down the bottom of the garden, you two. (laughs) Um, And we just had a really strong connection. And like, if I was ever upset, she used to use the classic line of, 
where are they? I'll break their legs. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but like, it was just a silly saying, but yeah. in the midst of everything, it was just like, you just felt like, oh, thanks for that sort of yeah. thing. It just, just shook, made... shook you out of the situation. Sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. And it just took you away from that initial sort of like upset. Um, but yeah, we were... We were so close and always talking, always in communication. Um, but like things started to sort of change throughout the years. So in 2009, my when I was 14, my dad passed away. Um, and this was Hannah's stepdad, who she was really, really close to as well. So it sort of changed the dynamic. So it was just me, my mum and Hannah. Obviously, Hannah was doing her best to support us. Um, and when I sort of look back, I sort of think, did she put so much trying to look after us that maybe she didn't look after herself um as much Mm. um then in 2012 um our gran my mum's mum passed away and I sort of noticed a real considerable change in Hannah um she'd become quite distant um normally we'd talk quite a lot um even if it was just really silly conversations but it just became very distant um And she just, I just don't know if that was the final bit that Mm. sort of finally changed her. Um, And then in 2013, she started in a relationship and me and mum were like, oh, fantastic. You know, like Hannah was always very secretive over that sort of stuff. So when it sort of came out, we were like, oh, maybe this is what she needs. Um, You know, it's it's a new start for her. You know, she just finished her degree because she had aspirations of becoming a teacher. So there was all these like lovely positive things going on for her and we were really like hopeful. Um, But then I was also sort of at college at the time as well. I remember getting off the bus because mum would pick me up to go home that um, she'd be meeting Hannah and she'd be giving Hannah money because Mm. Hannah would be saying that like she couldn't afford the mortgage and stuff that month or she couldn't afford the bills and stuff. So like I sort of noticed things were a little bit changing then again um and she was sort of in and out of jobs a lot Mm. um she worked at a nursery and then she went into care work but sometimes she was quite evasive um about when she was working what she was doing um and that's sort of when we more distanced really she was in this relationship and she seemed to sort of be in this relationship more and we didn't see her as much um, and things became like strained between us. I was 18, 19 at the time. So obviously you have all that adolescence and I'm growing up as well. Um, and we just drifted apart. Um, and then in 2014, we hadn't really heard from her for quite a few weeks. And we we're a bit like, what's going on? And um, I said to my mom, I'll go up to hers and just knock on the door and see if she's all right. And um she used to have like little curtains hanging on her door and I was like, they're gone. That's a little bit strange. And I remember looking through the letterbox and the flat was completely empty. And I was like, what, why is this completely empty? Like what, what's going on? And, um, I rang mum and I was like, she's not there. The flat's like cleared. I can't obviously get in, but the doors are open and there's nothing in there. Um, and I did a bit of digging and I'd found like, when you have like repossessed and people like come in to repossess you, they put tape over like the bathroom and stuff. It's like yellow tape. And I found Mm. images of that and I Googled what the tape was. And then it said like 
this big house has been repossessed and Hannah hadn't told us. Um, and obviously mum was like extremely upset because she was like, you know, I've been, excuse me, giving her money, um, trying to support her and like, why didn't she feel she could sort of come and talk to us about it? So she moved in with her partner. So she did have somewhere to live at that point. Okay. Um, but I don't, she never really explained why she didn't tell us the full extent of what was going on. And then we sort of rolled another year in advance to 2015. And I'd say from like October onwards, and I can't remember how it came out, but the extent of Hannah's drinking came out. Right. So Hannah always liked a bottle of wine. Um, you know, she'd always have like, if she was with us on a Saturday night, she'd have a bottle of wine and share it with us. Um, so it was always one of those things that was there, mm. but not something that ever really like concerned us. No. Um, and we sort of went from sort of not really seeing her and sort of make, hoping she was all right. You know, she seemed all right in this relationship, even though she'd been repossessed to a completely different world where we found out that she was actually on 40 units of alcohol a day to sustain herself. Wow. Um, and if she didn't um, drink this amount, she'd have seizures. Um, and there were times when like she collapsed and ended up in hospital because of it. For, um, for those that, sorry to interrupt, but for those that aren't sure about what 40 units is, what, what is that roughly, do you know? Four and a half bottles of wine. Wow. Yeah, and it, it all came about like, um, she got caught drink driving and there was lots that happened in the Christmas of 2015. Um, she left this relationship that ended and she literally had nowhere to go. And this was a really, really hard period for us because mm. the extent of her alcohol drinking um, meant that she was unsafe. Um, and a lot of people like um, charities and support networks were like, you can't take her in. Like our advice is not to take her in. And that was, it was so heartbreaking. And I remember her ringing me on Boxing Day being like, please, can I come home? Oh. And I'm having to say, no, but I can help you get somewhere, but I can't bring you home. And, you know, my mum's battling herself because that's her daughter. But then oh. I'm trying to think if she's on that extent of alcohol, could she you know, she might not be aware of what's going on. Is mum at risk? You know, like, would it destroy the relationship further if we're forced together? Do we have to separate so we look after ourselves so then we can look after Hannah? Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's an analogy about a well and it's like if somebody falls down a well, you don't climb into the well to mm -hmm. rescue them. You have to stay out of the well. That's the only yeah. way you're able to rescue them is by staying out of the well. And that's what you were trying to do. I get that. That that must have, I just want to acknowledge how difficult that must have been. That must have been so difficult. Um, really must have been. That's a really tough situation to be in. Yeah. And like, and then she'd sort of go on and say, well, that that's fine. Oh, you, you don't need me anymore. I'll just go and sort things out. And you're... And like, I just remember like my heart was racing and I was like, no, 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 we, we don't mean that. We just mean that we're going to come see you and we're going to go and see what we can do. But at this moment, we can't have you in the home. And like, I remember thinking, I just wanted to like hug her so tight that I could take all the pain away. Mm. And even if it meant I carried it, I'd rather that than see her in that position. Uh, that's the love of family, isn't it? 
yeah. you would yeah. you'd, you'd take the pain for anybody that you love like that it's oh bless you um but from 2015 the December we started again getting her into like um we went through the council and I don't think many people are aware but the council actually have an obligation to support people facing homelessness um I can't think of the correct um terminology but when people have sort of come to me for advice I'm like it's actually best approaching your camp council first of all um so with Hannah because it was over Christmas they got her into a hotel initially um and then in the January she went um up to Northampton but the thing was was that this was like a specific women's like support network and it wasn't the correct one she needed because right. obviously of the alcohol and her needs yeah so a lot of the time we'd find that we'd managed to get her in these places and then it would fall apart um because she didn't want to play by the rules um you know the support network probably wasn't the correct one at the time um and then it sort of went that she came to oxford so she went up to northampton come into oxford and she initially started at Simon House. Um, and at that point, she did have a seizure because she thought, right, I'm just going to stop drinking. Um, and I remember, like, we had the phone call. We went up to hospital. And I remember seeing her, like, her face had been completely smashed in where she hit the floor so hard. Oh, man. And she was so, like, skinny. And she just, it was just awful. I just I can't describe seeing her like that and it was it just seeing her in that bed and she just looked so weak I, um, I think I think what's important here as well is you've said a lot of stuff and it'd be really easy to for for somebody listening to be judgmental it'd be very yeah. easy but I think I'd like to point out that nobody chooses this no. nobody chooses this you know this is something that's probably it's just constant reactions to ever-changing situations and before you know it you find yourself in a place and you're like how do they get here and then yeah. that's when the alcohol plays a factor right yeah and it's a coping mechanism because yeah. if you think sometimes we come home from work and we've had a stressful day so mm. what do we do sometimes we have a glass of wine or you yeah. know any other drink and it relaxes us but at least you get to come home from work yeah. you know so yeah. you've got a job and you've got a home you know <laughs> it's just like, yeah. yeah and that's and that's how I think it started for Hannah. It was a coping mechanism. Um, and when we got her back into Simon House, um, what they want you to do is, because it's all part of self-development, is to get help with, work with the key workers, get your sort of benefits sorted, because you have to pay your way a little bit in the places, you know, like a small contribution. Um, but Hannah wasn't ready for that. Um, so unfortunately, they had had to give up her space in Simon House and she did end up on the streets um from about July 2016 to October 2016. Um and she was using the day services at Homeless Oxfordshire, but she didn't actually have a bed or a room at that time. Um, and we sort of would ring in, check in on her and see what she's doing. And I remember one time that they were like, well we haven't seen her today. So we were like a bit odd. Um, and this was the same sort of message throughout the week. And I remember going in on a weekend um, with my mum and one of my friends. And we walked around Oxford for five hours trying to find her. Um, and we just couldn't. And we were speaking to everyone. And Oxford is huge. Yeah. <laughs> and we just couldn't find her. Um, and we had to, we had to give up. 
um, and we sort of left messages with people. And a couple of days later, she did resurface um, and she never sort of explained where she'd gone or what had happened. Um, but it was just, I think for me, the constant fear of where is she? Is she okay? Like, am I going to get a phone call and say she's she's in a ditch somewhere? Or, you know, I, I never really relaxed myself and every time my phone buzzed because a lot of the time it was social services or different things it was like an anxiety within me um, that's also a cons i mean i'd like to acknowledge that's a considerable amount of stress for you and and your mother and, and yeah. all your family that i mean i want people to understand that 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 level of anxiety is that's a lot that's yeah. a lot you know and i just people might think oh you know i would have done this i would have done that i'm sure you thought of it I'm sure you did, you know? Yeah, it's so tough, so tough. And you, and you want to, like, take the drink off her. Of course. But if you do, she's just going to go and find it elsewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, and I lost I lost friends, people, and I told them about what was going on, and people judged me for, say, like, not taking her in. Yeah. Um, and I was like, no, but, you know, she needs to get into these establishments because they're professionals, you know, they can work with her, Um. And they did. And, you know, she got into homeless Oxfordshire O'Hanlon House in October 2016. Um, and she had a room there till I think March 17 when she moved back to Simon House. And mm. I always look back and I think without those establishments, I wouldn't have seen the change in her that I did. Um, from right at the beginning to the last day I saw her, we saw her on the Monday and we bought her a pair of sparkly sandals because it was summer and um, we just wanted to give her a little like treat and stuff. And we were looking over old photos and laughing at like how we used to look and the fashion and different bits. And then she passed away on the Friday and I wouldn't have had that moment with her of looking at those photo albums if it hadn't been for Homeless Oxfordshire, Simon House, you know, supporting her and giving her that time that she needed to become the Hannah that we knew and loved previously. Yeah. I mean, in any in any situation, the first the first place to start when it comes to change is is awareness, mm. is realizing that you are you have an issue or what the issue is. But shortly after that is accountability. And it and it sounds to me like that's what you were trying to do. Yes, you could have taken her in and done things for her, but that would have given her the time to carry on with the addiction. That would have given her the time to carry on with the behaviors that she was currently experiencing. Um, and then that would have caused a well, potentially could have caused a rift with you and her. So, yeah. you know, I don't judge you for that. That must've been a very, very difficult situation um, to be in. Um, and, and I think, and I think it's, it's certainly one of those situations that actually it's very easy on this side of the fence to say, Oh, I would have done this. I would have done that. But until you're in that situation, I really not sure you know what you would do. No. Yeah. And I remember them saying she has to hit rock bottom. Mm. And like, I kept thinking, surely she must be at rock bottom now. Like with something else would happen. And I'd be like, surely she's, she's there now and she can start sort of picking up and realizing and stuff. And it's, it's always, it was down to her, which was really hard because you couldn't, you could be there to support. And like, we'd um, always sort of go in and we'd take like toiletries in. Remember her last Christmas, we bought her a lovely like winter coat and boots mm. and stuff. And, yeah. you know, we were constantly ringing homeless Oxfordshire and checking in, but it did as hard as it was, it fell down to her to be like, I, I want this, you yeah. know, 
I'm going to use the support. Um, and Hannah was, she had a lovely little flat. Um, she wanted to be a teacher. She'd finished her degree. Um, you know, like her friends adored her. She was such a personality. And yeah. I think that's the biggest thing, isn't it? From going from that to sleeping on the streets of Oxford and people just presume that homelessness is old bearded men that have chosen to live and that's yeah. the stereotype yeah but it does it happens you know i live here in cornwall and very and we have we have unfortunately have quite a lot of homelessness down mm. here there was a recent incident in a um in a car park where some youths um attacked a homeless person and videoed it and put it on social media and it was just it just it, it upset everybody it's just yeah. horrendous you know and because that's the other side of it as well it is so unsafe and I mean, yeah. that was, that was a, that was a man. I mean, you know, a young, a, a young woman, girl yeah. out there like that, that, that's, that's really worrying. I mean, like I said, you know, you said about rock bottom and if you, if you use the well analogy, that is the bottom of the well, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and it's only then where they can look up and say, okay, that's the way out, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, I, d I don't know whether you talk about it or not, but, but how did Hannah pass? Um, so she had a seizure and, um, so she did have a partner called Sean, um, who was lovely. Um, and we still keep in touch with him now. Um, and they had sort of separate rooms in Simon House. And he went in to see her in the morning and found her having a seizure. Um, and when the um, paramedics were alerted, she went into cardiac arrest. Um, but staff at Simon House said that the Thursday night she'd come in, she just seemed a bit quiet. And I remember my mum saying, and obviously I'm not a mum myself, so it must be a mum intuition. But when we saw her on Monday, mum just walked away and was like, something's not right. I just I just have this feeling something's not right. And I was like, maybe that is a mum thing. She just didn't think there was something right. Um, but that was the last time we saw her. Mm. Um, I was taking the mick <laughs> the last time I saw her, saying I wanted to go buy my strawberries from Tesco's. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, because she always like would hang on at the end as like a silly little thing and be like, yeah. um, I love you, Amber. And like I was that again at 21, 22, that annoying little sister that still wouldn't say it, but would wind her up and like yeah. make her laugh. And I'd be like, I love strawberries more, Hannah. Like, I need to go get my strawberries. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and like like that. And it was a really nice way to part because throughout everything we'd been through it was that moment where we were like back to taking the mick and me yeah. winding her up and me pranking her and her that, like that's how you really were her. together right yeah, yeah yeah i was i was yeah. terrible i was i used to hide under her bed when she stayed at my mum and dad's and then i'd like grab her ankle from under <laughs> the bed i was a terror <laughs> that's savage <laughs> what know. are you like you know uh i mean yeah it's 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 um it's funny me and my kids we have uh i don't know if you've ever uh, heard this before but when you say when you mouth the word elephant it looks like I love you so we yeah. always go like that to each other yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah and then and then the other day we heard elephant juice which is I love you too I've never heard that before yeah, I, like, <laughs> you know. I think I've heard that one yeah hmm. but yeah no it's definitely definitely a one isn't it <laughs> yeah 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 I, I, I mean that's that, what I get from all this is just the realism of it all like this is how it really is and I think sometimes people want to hear these stories or are interested by these stories or these journeys 
but they're they're perhaps not prepared for the reality of what it really is like what it really looks like how it really went down you know and like you said every family has them little quirky things like that and and uh you know that's the way we communicate and we, we don't know that in in a day or two's time that that person might not be here anymore you know you just don't know that do you you know yeah, no, but, I, when I walked away, I didn't think that was the last time. Of course time. not. No, of course not. And it must have been very difficult when you found out the news that yeah. she'd passed. I mean, what effect do you feel did Hannah's death have on you? Um, It was like a mix of feelings. And this is like a very controversial as well. But in a way, I felt a sense of relief because she couldn't be hurt anymore. No one could hurt her. And she was safe. And it's like that that worry of where she was, you know, like you say, that poor person got attacked and filmed, like that all just went. And that's probably a really selfish thing to say, but I was like, she's finally at peace. She's not fighting herself. She's not fighting anyone else. She's not fighting whatever's going on in her mind. She can just sleep. And she was incredibly close to um, our gran and my dad and I always see it that she's reunited with them oh. and you know and that's where I think you know in her mind she wanted to be with them and she's now peacefully reunited and that's how I how I see it to cope I think yeah I mean I I, I had a feeling you would say the word relief I could I could hear it in in the way you were talking it, it sort of mirrors that feeling of when you know somebody is on their deathbed say yeah. and you just want them to get that relief that release yeah. you know and I, I totally get that I mean it's not it's not selfish or, or whatever word you used it's honest yeah it's and, honest and I like like last year I got um diagnosed with PTSD um primarily from what had gone on with Hannah and like especially in alcohol environments I was extremely triggered I remember going to a garden party a few years ago um, and I was like, I'm sat around people enjoying something that killed my sister. And I remember just sat there and I was like, I was like, went into a little ball, it felt like, and everything was just going on around me. Um, and obviously, like, I've been working on that and doing different things. But it was also when I looked back, I remember going in to see her with one of my friends and we we couldn't find her. And we'd asked some people and they were like, oh, if you go down this alleyway, um, she's she's actually down there and you've got to take that with a pinch of salt sometimes you know because you're like and I remember going down with my friend and there was a lot of people um they were all sort of sat together like who they were living on the streets and Hannah was there and I remember him saying to me like if anything happened or you know because you don't know how things could turn out he was like run and don't look back and I was like that was just a I was like I should I shouldn't be doing that and Hannah shouldn't be there. And it was a really like, you know, because it was, we were in a really tight confined space with a lot of people and you didn't know how they'd receive us. That's, um, um, that's terrifying actually. Yeah. yeah. Like that's a really scary thing to be told. And, you know, and like, you know, understandably there are their own community um, and it is a lovely community because they were so supportive of Hannah, but you, you know, they have to be defensive because mm. of, what they go up against. But I remember when Hannah saw me, she ran up to me and was like, oh, that's my baby sister and like took me in her arms. So, but it was just that like adrenaline. And then you think looking back that I was constantly in a state of 
adrenaline like I was still going to work I was still trying to be an adult in life myself but then there was all another side to my life that sometimes I'd have to be like right this grown-up life's got to stop I've now got to delve into this side Mm. um and like I said I don't think it took effect till last year where I sort of thought I need help myself and then got diagnosed yeah I mean it doesn't doesn't surprise me respectfully that you would have PTSD from something like that I mean even that situation there that you describe walking into that unsafe environment like that and you're right you know like of course sleeping on the streets living on the streets is dangerous you know you put in the side uh, I remember a couple of Christmases ago um there was a, a really really big snowstorm and it was absolutely freezing and there was quite a few of us like driving around sort of looking for homeless people to give sleeping bags to and things like that because it was freezing absolutely freezing it's like what do they do when they can't get into the homeless shelters what do they do when they can't find somewhere warm and dry you know yeah um and like you say you know i know it was your sister but there's a certain mentality that has to come with being uh, homeless there's a certain way of being that you know, you must have, sorry, <laughs> you must have to, <laughs> so I don't know what I was there, um, uh, that, that you have to be to survive in the streets. And um, you don't necessarily want to invite that into your home because I'm not no. sure it's something that can be switched off, you know? No. Um, and like, I remember another time we went in and we were look, meeting up and looking for her and, you know, there was a certain crowd that were like, oh yeah, we know where she is. She owes us money. Are you, are you connected to her? So oh. you owe us money. And we're like, right, we're going to have to like step out of this now. And, you know, my mum's there as well. And I'm trying to think of, you know, my mum's welfare. And then I don't want my mum worrying about Hannah even more than she is. And it's it was just a constant like spinning the plates, yeah. um, you know, and like, it, and then you go away and then you're thinking, oh God, like is, is she safe? Are these people going to find her? You know, what are you going to do? You know, and it was just, yeah, it was, it's, it was just never ending. That's how it felt. Acknowledging the PTSD, how are you now? Are you okay? Um, in the sense of talking about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Um, so I really, like a little sidetrack, I really wanted to work on it because I'm getting married in December. And obviously, congratulations. The wedding... Thank you. <laughs> um, the wedding will obviously have that little bit of sort of taintedness because my sister and my dad aren't going to be there. Um, but I also didn't want to feel like triggered because obviously at weddings there is alcohol and I thought I need to look after myself. So going forward, you know, I can be that person that could potentially help other people and help make sure I'm okay myself. Um, But yeah, I completed a six months of talk in space Oxfordshire um, and it was all like cognitive behavioral therapy and recognizing. Um, And I've got a wedding uh, in a couple of weeks to go to and I said to my partner I said if I get to a point where I feel a bit like oh it's a bit too much um I love the office you ask so yeah. I'm going to go up to our room and I'm going to watch an episode of it to sort of sort of like just relax yeah and then sort of feel like right I'll go back downstairs now and take myself out of the situation um and I wouldn't have done that before I'd have just kept going oh no I'll be fine I'll be fine I respect that so much because that is self-development Right. People think that they can stop stuff, but you can't. You can't Mm -hmm. stop a feeling. You can't stop situations more often than not. They are out there. And self-development is collecting tools and having plans for things like that. Like you're not saying the easiest option would be not to go. Right. 
It'd just be, yeah. I can't go and make an excuse, whatever. But you're not doing that. You're using your self-development. You're going into this environment that you know is going to be difficult for you, but you have a plan for when it gets too much. Yeah. And then maybe that'll allow you to come back down after that and enjoy it. Maybe just having that plan, that reassurance in the back of your mind means that you don't have to go up. To yeah, the roof, you know? but I but, know I can. Exactly. And that, that self-development is having those tools to be able to look after yourself in situations where you know you're going to find it challenging. And I really respect that. I mean, I think that's that's really all you can do, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And that was what it was all about was coping mechanisms and realizing the points and what you can do and to take yourself back down. Yeah. Um, and then going back into the situation if you feel like you can. But yeah. yeah. Because these tools that we have in self-development, they're only useful if you know what you're building. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, it's like it's like I said, used it as an analogy a while back about having an IKEA wardrobe delivered with no instructions, <laughs> and it's like you've got all these tools and you've got everything you need, but you don't know how to build it. And it's like you know what you're trying to achieve, and that's and that's wonderful. Which means all the tools that you've collected will work. That yeah. all they will they will have impact. They will they will help you move forward. I mean, you said that you know you felt relief um, when Hannah passed away. Um, obviously you would have felt, you know, real deep grief, I'm sure. But I mean, how do you feel like it's impacted you? Because I mean, not long after that, you did an amazing thing, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I always felt like, why Hannah? Hmm. And I was like, because she was just, just the best. Just, just fantastic personality and you know, I always feel ashamed that like my partner, Chris, um, never got to meet her and stuff. And, you know, and I, I didn't want that to be the end um, mm. because she deserves to be remembered. She deserves for her, like, you know, her personality to be put through other things. So um, I did do a half marathon the year after she passed away to raise money for homeless Oxfordshire. Wow. And found out that I don't like long distance running. <laughs> I, I'm convinced nobody does. No. <laughs> I'm not sure how you can. The only enjoyable bit was people were handing out sweets at the side of the road. So yeah. my my run was kind of more zigzagged. Um, well, you were following was, the sweets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was That's my a, coping mechanism for that I, run. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not I'm not running a marathon. I'm on a sweet run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Each each like 10 meters, I'll get a sweet and it'll be fine. I like that. That's how they train puppies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm all for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like going going forward, um, I was like, oh, I've asked, asked people to donate to, you know, my half marathon. I also did um, a collection at where I worked, you know, especially around winter, um, getting toiletries, warm clothing and stuff to donate to homeless Oxfordshire. But I kind of wanted someone to give me money but also get something back for mm. it as well so that they had sort of something in memory of Hannah um so my friend Hillary who's super talented because I can't draw for the life of me um, she created me this design it's the Oxford skyline in day and night time and that's to represent that homelessness is 24 7 I do have it I came prepared like on blue Peter. well done right there oh that's lovely yeah, I saw that on your website. That's yeah. that's nice to have that explanation though, actually. That's... Yeah, and um, so they're called handbags after Hannah. 
um, because Hannah always had a massive handbag and it was like you were doing weight training when you carried it. It had everything in it apart <laughs> like, from the kitchen like, sink. Like Mary Poppins' bag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was just ridiculous. <laughs> but um, So when someone buys one of these handbags, um, the profits are put towards purchasing toiletry packs for homeless Oxfordshire. Um, so I sort of thought, bought like a little pack of 50 um, got it all sorted and I was like if I sell 50 over a couple of years fantastic you know it's 50 toiletry packs and I'm on now on 144 wow. um, and they've even gone to like Australia and America which is amazing that is um, and this lady in Canada took a picture of her in Canada with it and I was like let's just and I was like oh, oh it's like Hannah's traveled to that's Canada giving me like... goosebumps. that's amazing <laughs> that's brilliant um, and she's in she's traveling the world in a sense like her name is getting out there um and then I also put that design onto clothing so skyline clothing so when someone purchases skyline clothing uh, the profits go to homeless Oxfordshire towards their welfare fund so that means that say if Hannah was having a bit of a bad day because they all get like assigned um key workers um they could take her out for a coffee um and a chat and just get her out of that environment initially and just have a bit of time away. Um, also, because Hannah would sometimes need to go to like hospital appointments and that's sort of a fair bit of anxiety in itself for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and they would use that money to pay for a taxi for her because obviously she couldn't drive. Um, and then if she was too anxious to say, get the bus, they'd pay, use that money to get her a taxi to get her to the hospital with a key worker and come back um, and just reducing um, the anxiety and making life that little bit easier for them. Um, and it also buys like welfare um, items for them as well. So when you go in O'Hanlon House, um, if anyone is local to Oxford, you can actually go there and visit and just see the fantastic work they do. But the bottom layer is sort of their welfare area and there's plenty of books and there's lots of stuff going on. So it is fantastic. Um, so, so that, you set that up and, and, and what was it called? What's it, what is it called? Sorry. Uh, so it's Amber Lights in Oxford is Amber what Lights. I run. Yeah, yeah. So Amber Lights in Oxford, um, you sell clothing bags, um, and all of the, um, profits go to homeless Oxfordshire. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then um, we had, um, uh, Hannah had one of her friends who was at homeless Oxfordshire who had a staffy called Maverick. And Hannah loved dogs and obviously dogs um, bring their own um, companionship um, and loyalty, especially to people who are living on the streets as well. Um, so my friend, um, she created the Pawson range. Um, so I've got like the little, here, got the little, the little oh, paw. I and absolutely I little, love that. I just, a little dog on the back. Is that um, Maverick? Uh, it's not Maverick, no. no. <laughs> 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 but we can pretend. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, when someone buys that, the money goes towards the dogs at Homeless Oxfordshire because obviously they need feeding, they need their own health care, um, they need support as well. So if we support them, they support us and it's a nice little circle oh, all the way around. Absolutely lovely. That really is. Because I never thought of it like that. Yeah, of course, them, there are homeless people that, that do have dogs and, and stuff. And you can see why, really. I mean, yeah. apart from anything, it must be quite quite a reassuring protection in some ways i'm sure or, or an early alert system in yeah. some ways yeah i mean um, apart from anything else just the love and companionship yeah that, that a dog brings um what an incredible thing to do with um with your experience um 
really hope you're proud of yourself because you should be. Thank you. Thank you. you. I mean, what support outside of what you do, obviously, is offered to those experiencing homelessness? I mean, that's where I want to sort of, um, I, I think Hannah's story, your story is is very impactful, very powerful, and it comes with a lot of learning. But I mean, let's address the homelessness in, in general, because I think people think it's, well, they have their own judgments and their own thoughts yeah. about it, don't they? They don't realize that, you know, most people are only a hop, skip and a jump away from it. It's, it's a very easy thing to happen. I, I remember working with somebody once who um, I was working in a delivery company and um, he had got divorced and he was left with nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife got it all. I, I don't understand the situation, all that. But that job was all he had. And he had a flat and there was a time he was sleeping in his car for a little while in the car park of the place we worked, mm. you know, so you can see how easy it can happen to anybody, you know? So what support is offered to people experiencing homelessness? So I found, especially when looking for help for Hannah, it does sort of smaller charities depends on where you are um, and what kind of county you're in, what area of the country. Um, Cause they like homeless Oxfordshire is, Oxfordshire based yeah. um, you do have like the larger charities such as the Salvation Army and Crisis um, and they have um, a lot of places all over the country um, Street Link as well is something that people haven't really heard of um, and you can actually if you were concerned about someone who was homeless you can actually alert them on the website or through um, a number that they have on their website to basically say about your concerns yeah um, my best advice really is focusing on what's in your area i think um because um there's just so many when you delve into it um and say like even the churches do such a fantastic job as well um i remember going in one sunday morning um and they were out and they were going to people who had slept out on the streets with tea and coffee um and biscuits and they were just waking them up just to make sure that they were all okay and they were offering things but it's kind of it's a difficult question of where they could go or where they could start because it's such a huge thing to look into because obviously you've got the two big salvation army in crisis and you've got the areas um their own sort of thing but i would say like especially about homeless oxfordshire is um, they do do day services um, as well. So even if someone can't get a room, they can go in for food. They can get their own locker because that's how Hannah started out and have access to showers and stuff. I remember one night she said that um, she was sleeping out and her feet were cold. So she went into uh, the reception and they brought her out some fluffy socks to keep her a little bit more warm and stuff. Um, and I think it's really sort of like delving into your local area and seeing what's around and what support networks and obviously how we can help that as well. Yeah. Um, because once we get an understanding of what's in our local area, if we are concerned about someone, we can then sort of um, pinpoint them in that direction or make them aware and stuff. A lot of people who I spoke to in Oxford weren't aware of like O'Hanlon House, which was just around the corner from them where they were sitting and stuff. Yeah. Um, that would be my advice is obviously you can go on crisis and salvation army and see what's there and how you can support. Um, but also the local area is incredibly important too. It sounds to me like 
a lot of these um, organizations are there to sort of support people's basic needs. So things like um, warmth and shelter and food and and staying hydrated and, and a bed, maybe if it's possible. Obviously, there's limits on everything, you know, um, the fact that you have to turn away some people it speaks to how bad it is. You know, yeah. like we can't create enough beds for people like that's that's a worrying situation, because I think some people don't discern between, you know, trying to cover home somebody who's experiencing homelessness basic needs and trying to get them out of homelessness, because that's that's not kind of something that can be done by somebody else, is it? It's and that's, no. I suppose, where you was going with it with with Hannah. It's like you have to that person has to realize the situation they're in, um, become aware of it take accountability and start taking them very difficult steps towards coming out of that place. And only they can do it, you know? So I'm not sure it's down to an organization, but all they can do is, is, is sort of give them basic needs, make, give them, give them a shower, give them some socks, you know, let them sleep there if they can, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's so, so difficult. You're in a really intriguing area. Yeah. And I know they do have like benefit advisors and they obviously have key workers once you get into these establishments to start Mm. sort of getting you set up um and homeless oxygen isn't just one um like hostel in a sense you do go into sort of shared housing eventually um sort of like specifically for needs as a sort of form of progression to sort of then you're sort of living on your own a bit more you've got other people but you're actually having to cook for yourself um and again that's self-development um because you've made the step to go in and get that help initially and get you you just having like you know school dinners like you used to and then your next step is right I'm going to start cooking again for myself and you know that's self-development and that's self-care as well isn't it because yeah. you're putting that time aside to cook and make sure that you're fed I heard this wonderful story once about a monk a monk sat in a room and he said to everybody in the room I want you to tell me about something you did not de- you feel you did not deserve and First person says, um, you know, oh, I, I ended up with a divorce. My my partner cheated on me. The next person said, oh, a family member passed away. The next person said, I lost my job. The next person said, I got an illness last year. And the monk says, yep, I totally agree. None of you deserved any of that. But I noticed that you don't say about anything good. And the thing is, I think that people assume that they deserve to have a house they deserve to have a job they deserve to have the lives that they have and they take it for granted and they don't realize how easily all that can be taken away so i think an important lesson there for us all listening to this is that we must be grateful for what we have really really grateful because it can be taken away and then you're struggling you know because listen to what these people are having to 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 endure they're having to like go for all of those hoops just to get to a place where they can share a house with somebody and cook for themselves. I mean, we do that every day, multiple times a day, you know? So that's a real, that's a real important thing. I think we found as well as that, um, obviously to have a bank account, you have to have an address, but if you want a job, you have to have a bank account. Mm. And if you don't have a dress, um, and it's like, how, how do we, go forward with this because you're stopping people from progressing by putting these extra blocks. I know I have seen a few banks are now starting um, to come up with ways to support this. Um, But I think the scary thing for me was that someone once said, you're more likely to be homeless than be a millionaire. 
And that was like, oh my goodness, that's a totally believable thing. But wow, hearing it like that, yeah, absolutely, wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that yeah. before. That, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's hit me. That has wow. Um, okay, so what in what situations can homelessness occur? Because you hit me with a statistic a, a little while back when we spoke, and I, I couldn't believe it. So do you do you remember that statistic? Yeah. So um, homelessness in Oxford, and this is just in Oxford, has increased by four hundred percent since twenty twelve. Four hundred percent. Yeah, and I had another one. The average house house price in Oxford is seventeen times the average household wage. Um, and then if you put on top of the extreme cost of living we're now facing, um, it, it is, it, yeah. it's where it snowballs and, you know, you mentioned yourself, um, about someone you worked with, they lost their job, they had a marriage breakdown. Mm. And when you speak to a lot of people, it's, it's a similar story. Um, there's also like, um, escaping an abusive relationship, yeah. um, as well, um, leaving unsafe environments. Um, and you do find there's a lot of military veterans um, out on the streets as well. You know, they've done their service. Um, I say like, um, just because Chris is in the RAF and I um, sort of understand it a bit more. But Is that your partner? Yeah, right. yeah. So he's in the RAF and it's a bit more, a bit more sort of fluid in the lifestyle sort of thing. But the army's very, you know, they live together, they work together, they do everything together, they go away together, they go on the same leave period as each other and i've sort of seen that it's sometimes army veterans um that when they leave the army they struggle um and you find that there are a lot of veterans on the streets mm. um through that as well um and sometimes addiction does play its part in it as well you know someone might be um using that as a coping mechanism and then to pay for that they might not be paying their bills um yeah. And then because they can't pay the bills, everything gets switched off. You know, the mortgage doesn't get paid. And likewise, you know, we're seeing it on the news daily. People are deciding whether they're going to heat the home or eat, you mm. know, and there's, there doesn't, it just seems to be snowballing. And I watched something the other day and this person was saying, you know, they have to get private medication um, to help them. And that costs them £200 a month. And if he doesn't have that, he can't move. It doesn't help his mobility, but he also needs heating, mm. you know, and he's going to have to face a decision of whether he buys his medication or pays for heating. And that's, that's where we're coming into it. It's, it's yeah. scarily growing. I mean, I try not to, I, I try very hard to not talk politics on the podcast, but it, I, I just wonder whether people in power have seen this because I don't know why you would make some of the decisions that are being made. Otherwise it's, it's, you know, like even that one thing you say, which I, I know a, a, a bit about addiction, no one chooses to become addicted to something. It's a coping mechanism, but after a little while, that coping mechanism becomes the only way you can feel okay. Not good. Okay. It's the only way you can manage life is by being in an altered state. You know, it allows you to, to manage those emotions, those experiences, those difficult situations in a way that feels like you can't actually do it, not enjoy it, but do it, <laughs> get on with it, yeah. you know? And when people, when you think of it like that, you know, and you have all the decisions being made by the government about, like you say, people are choosing to, whether they can eat or get or stay warm. I mean, that's nuts. That's actually happening. <laughs> like that, yeah. that, you know, so 
I think this is a very um, apt episode um, to, to sort of help with people, not necessarily who are in that situation, but maybe you have friends or family members like you did that are yeah. having troubles. Um, and it's kind of like you can now pass on your experiences and tell them, you know, hey, listen, you can do this, you can do that, you can do this, there's all this stuff available. I'm sure you're okay with them getting in contact, you know, by email or, or social media yeah. and, and asking questions. But I mean, that that's my next sort of question really is, is what role does addiction play in homelessness? Because I'd imagine it's, it's quite a substantial one. Yeah, and um, so like either, I kind of split it down to sort of what I'd seen is, um, Hannah was already drinking, um so she wasn't paying her mortgage and stuff and we found quite a lot of notes um when we were clearing her stuff out and sorting through and like say if she'd been drinking quite heavily um she then didn't go to work the next day um and then that would result in job loss um and obviously not able to pay bills and mortgage but also on the other hand is that say if you're just thrown into homelessness um people might turn to um like drugs and drink as a coping mechanism to survive being on the streets you know you might find that you know you look at um people that obviously come over here to get a better life and they might not initially get the help they need and then they end up on the streets Mm. Um, and it must be it must be terrifying for them that they might find themselves in a situation where this might be a coping mechanism for them um so it's like it's on both sides it's it's so entwined in homelessness um and I think that's where a lot of the stigma comes in because people will be like oh they're addicts why would you help them and you know and someone said to my mum well she chose to drink Mm. Hannah chose to drink and I'm like no 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 that's you know completely uneducated and that's what you'd face is hand in hand there is homelessness and addiction um and people don't want to look at it because it's too close to home I think really is that homelessness scares people so if they pretend it's not happening and that they can't see it um that's better for them and you know and perhaps if things didn't happen with Hannah I definitely wouldn't be so heavily involved um but I feel like once you look into it that sort of shield goes and you actually see the full extent of what is going on um but no one no one chooses this at all It, it just it just happens, which is the saddest thing of it all. Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I try my best to speak to some of the homeless people um, where I live. Um, you know, you, you do have to pick the right times. Sometimes they're, they're, you know, they're behaving a bit crazy or erratically, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, uh, especially if you've got the kids with you, you might might just give that a little bit of a wide berth sort of thing. But you know, when you speak to them, I remember having a conversation with one of them um, who was drinking late at night, and um, he said, "When I drink this." I can forget for a minute that I haven't got no home and I've got no, you know, no, all these things on top of me. And he said, and apart from anything, he goes in about an hour's time, I'll be asleep. Mm-hmm. And he says, and that has a lot of value to me. And it's just like, what can you say to that? What do yeah. I know? What advice can I give when I go back to my house and I get into bed? It's just, you know, I, I've got no right to say anything about, about that at all. And that's, I suppose, is what I'm trying to sort of poke at is that when you are next walking through the town, um, and you do see a homeless person, try not to judge, try to look with compassion, try to actually see that person, you know, try to acknowledge that person, you know, because they, they are people. They're not yeah. just somebody standing there in your way. They they are people. They are people yeah. with, with 
with feelings, with family, with all these different things. And they're, they're doing their best at that time, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that might involve having a drink so you can get to sleep in a freezing cold night. You know, mm. yeah. <laughs> is that, is that awful? I, I kind of get it you know, in mm. a way, you know? So, um, Obviously, people now will wonder, you know, they might see signs of of somebody going down towards that, that sort of homelessness path or whatever. But how can people actually best support someone who is experiencing homelessness? So obviously, like this, this is just my advice, but I would always say to support the establishments and the charities um, like first, just because um you know where that money's going. And I know some people are a bit skeptical about giving money because you don't know where it's going. Mm. Um, you know, and with Hannah, we never gave her money. We would buy her toiletries. We would buy her coach, you know, because then she had it. Um, and with all the goodwill in the world, she might not have used that money for where it was meant to go. Um, so my best advice is to support your charities in the local area and getting in touch with them. Um, and seeing first and foremost what they need mm. um, they might be like oh could you do a fundraiser like I did the half marathon <laughs> you don't have to do that extreme but... you, you, you didn't do the half marathon you did the sweet run, sweet, the sweet run yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you know they might say like oh could you do a fundraiser and yeah. um, also volunteering um, in homeless Oxfordshire you can actually go and work in the kitchens and serve food and have conversations um Something as well that I learned through listening to um, Homeless Oxfordshire when they did like a radio show is that they're all sort of after people um, going in and helping. So like hairdressers and barbers going in um, yeah. and giving people a haircut and a spruce up because sometimes if you feel like you look good, you feel good. Um, yeah. There was a lady that was going in and doing manicures and pedicures for them and making them, you know, feel better. And you have to think that, you know, if they're out on the streets and they're in harsh weather and they're not able to like clip the toenails, for example, mm. you know, like how painful that could be and, yeah. you know, offering up those services um, and also going in and doing like educational talks with them as well. Cause you don't know these people's backgrounds. You don't know like what, what they've achieved in their lives. Um, Hannah was um, friends with people that were so educated and you know had degrees left right and center and you could sit and listen to them for hours so to have someone give up a little bit of their time and go in and talk would just be so engaging um so you have all that sort of area as well and probably one of the smallest ways um to help in a really effective way is when you go and do your weekly shop is every now and then just chuck in a deodorant shower gel or shampoo and let that build up in a little box in whatever room <laughs> and then take that to the shelter oh, that's a lovely idea toiletries are always in need we always mm. need them um and you know when at christmas if you time it for christmas put some little biscuits and chocolates in there um i know homeless oxfordshire taking stuff like that and they wrap up presents um so when hannah had a christmas day there they all had christmas presents they had a christmas dinner um and they did games and everything in the afternoon and it's like making people feel valued um and showing that they are loved and they are thought of because perhaps when they're set out on the streets they feel worthless and lonely and it's just you know getting that 40p shower gel and bunging it in the shopping trolley and then before you know it you've got a lovely little box to deliver in 
Yeah, that's a really lovely idea. That really is. I love that idea. I'm going to do that. Absolutely going to do that. I, d- I sadly didn't think of that before. And now that is something I now do. <laughs> and, and I know, um, you obviously, if you feel comfortable, like going over and having a conversation and, mm. you know, and I remember after Hannah passed away, my um, friend, he always, he always goes over and chats to people and he sometimes takes a little drink and a bit of food to them. And um, he sat down next to one girl and he bought her a drink and food and he was chatting away and he went to her, what's your name? And she went, Hannah. And it completely took him by surprise because he'd been the one helping me with Hannah and Hannah had passed away. And then he'd met this other woman and he just sat and had this conversation. And he said it was like, it was such a surreal moment. Yeah, it's giving me goosebumps again. (laughs) Like, oh, wow. He knew he was, for him, that was the way he would support people was having conversations and you know and buying them a bottle of water and stuff and you got to think we're in the midst of a heat wave at the minute um and another way to support is making sure that if you see someone on the street they have sun cream um they have plenty of water um even an umbrella to keep them sheltered um because of heat stroke as well um and just sort of being aware of what's going on um and if you feel comfortable just going over and saying you know, do you need any sun cream? Do you need this? You know, etc. It's putting aside the judgment as well. There was an interesting um, video on social media recently of a gu- uh, a guy dressed uh, like a homeless chap, um, sprawled out on the floor, unconscious. Yeah, and everybody just walked past him. Nobody stopped. Nobody asked any questions. Then they took the same guy, they cleaned him up, put him in a suit, and put him in the same position in the same way. And within 15 minutes, paramedics were there. People were crowded around him and stuff like that. And it's just, look at that. Just from, and the the only difference was the clothes he was wearing. That's it. That's it, you know. That's why those people from the church were just so wonderful that Sunday morning when we're going around and obviously, you know, gently waking people up, making Mm. sure they're okay, tea, coffee, do you want a bit of breakfast? And, you know, and normalizing the subjects like a lot of with homelessness everyone's like really tense around it and they don't want to look into it and they it's like they don't know how to help so they just avoid it and pretend it's not happening but there's so many other ways you can support without directly supporting if that makes sense like someone who's physically on the streets you can Mm. support the charities in lots of different ways i mean one of the things you said that I, i i really loved was you know, there, there are key workers, there are people coming in and talking and they're telling people how to move forward, how to change their life, how to change their situation. And I think a lot of the time through anxiety, I'm sure people say, oh, you need to sort it out. You need to get a job. You need to do this. But they don't tell people how, you know, and it's something that I, I, I know a bit more of from my job, obviously, but also from being a parent. It's not enough to just say to a child, go, you know, you need to do this. They don't know how to do it. They've done it before. <laughs> and, and, and and that might be the situation with somebody who's experiencing homeless, or it might be that it's been such a long time since they've been in that position, they've forgotten how, and you know? I, um, there was a story of someone who was at homeless Oxfordshire and she'd left um, an abusive marriage and, um, she had to walk away from everything. And one, there were two bits of her story that really stuck with me. And she used to say she used to sit on the bench by a train station with her bags because it looked like she was a normal passenger and that no one would pass judgment on her. Um, and then also when she got into homeless Oxfordshire, 
she was so happy to eat with a knife and fork again. Oh, man. And to have that ability to eat with a knife and fork. And, you know, I can pop downstairs now and it's it's there. Um, but that really, that really stuck with me that she said, I, I could eat with a knife and fork again. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. It comes back to that being grateful for all of the little tiny things that all come together for us to live in our, live our lives. You know, like I just enjoyed a nice coffee. You know, I'm yeah. drinking some water here and all that. These are all things that aren't there for some people. Yeah. And it's like, I think that needs to be acknowledged. I mean, after your countless experiences with people from all walks of life, <clears throat> excuse me, do you have any wisdom that you can pass along to people to help them with their self-development? I think it's it's easier said than done and I'm not saying that I don't do this but um I spent so long beating myself up over that I could have done something better for Hannah or I could have changed it or I could have saved her but I was actually I'm judging myself from what I know now and when I was in that situation I was still learning I didn't understand you know there was a lot going on so I, I can't judge myself back then because I was a different person in a sense. I was still learning. I was still understanding. And, you know, there are times now when sometimes I think, oh, maybe, but it's it's not as intense as it was afterwards. And I'm like, I can't sit here and say, Amber, you should have done that when I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know that all this help was available. So, yeah, just not to be so harsh on yourself because we're all constantly learning yeah. um, and that's who we are today. Yeah. I mean, we, you're right. We are all constantly learning and we're all doing our best and our best is what it is, isn't it? You know? Yeah. And I think that's such a really, really wonderful thing to pass along is that you are, you were doing your best and that, you know, as we go through our days, you know, we might be tired, we might be hungry, <clears throat> and the way we feel will change through the day. Mm -hmm. And if we think about things like that, so will that change too? But I think ultimately you're right. You know, you are absolutely right. Really, the only person that ultimately could have helped Hannah was Hannah. And yeah. she was in a tough spot. And it's very easy for us to sit and discuss it. But until we walk a, walk a, a mile in Hannah's shoes, we have no idea what it was like. No. and Thank, you know, Thankfully. And, no. And... And it's like, I remember one night I rang 13 different numbers because I was trying to find help for Hannah and I found her and I was trying to find help and I was clueless. And then now I'd be like, right, okay, so if we go down this, you know, we can sort it this way. So I, I can't judge myself for back then because I was, I was in as much, not in as much trauma as Hannah, but I was in my own trauma trying to support Hannah as well. Yeah. And that's right. You're right. You were, you know, uh, so much so that now you have this PTSD, you know, yeah. um, which is significant. That's what people that come back from war zones have. That's what people that come back from, you know, significant childhood trauma, what you've been through, the experiences, like you said, you were like living on that adrenaline every day. And then obviously when Hannah passes away, that adrenaline might subside, but something else is there instead, you know, which is the loss. So you've yeah. been through a heck of a lot. And I I am so happy to hear that you are looking after yourself and that you are trying to manage this situation as best as you can with, with all the coping mechanisms that you're putting in place. And I really do hope that you're proud of yourself. I really do. Because I mean, uh, I've met a few people that have taken painful situations like this and turned them into something. And 
I have nothing but admiration for it. I just think it's amazing. You know, I really do think it's amazing. So, you know, thank you. <laughs> but you know, thank you for doing it. And, you know, all of those people out there that are, are are getting help from from your wonderful clothes, and all the people that have got them cool clothes too, right? I know, <laughs> and, and all the doggies, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like last thing, I mean, what's next for you, and where can people find you? How can they support what you're doing? Where can they buy your clothes? All that stuff. Okay, so I'm I'm hoping um, to try and get into a few like uh, local shops in Oxford. Um, because I kind of want to have the ability for someone visiting Oxford to take a bit of Oxford away with them and support people in the local area. Lovely. Um, so I need to do a bit of digging and pestering people for that. Um, but I'm hoping to set up my own podcast, um, talking about homelessness, um, mental health, um, addiction, and just having those open and honest conversations because there's so many angles um, of homelessness and where we think that, some people have, you know, got it all, they've got it all sussed. And actually there's an underlying story and there's lots of things going on. And I want to normalize homelessness and, you know, make people aware of how they can support and what they can do. Um, and just create a better community of supporting those experiencing homelessness and reduce that stigma. Um, and just to keep Hannah's memory alive. Um, so I'm on, um, Facebook and Instagram is Amber Lights in Oxford. Um, so you can see all my different clothes. Um, I also put up different things that are going on with Homeless Oxfordshire. Currently, they've activated um, severe weather emergency protocol due to the heat. Yeah. Um, so um, if you are local to Oxford um, and there's people sleeping out or outside, you can direct them to Homeless Oxfordshire um, and explain that there are extra accommodation made available and day services to accommodate um, just to the severe weather as well. So just passing the information on um, and getting it out there as much as I can. So I'm going to put you on the spot. When's your podcast coming out? <laughs> uh, definitely after the wedding. <laughs> That's that's a probably a very good idea, but I mean, New Year. <laughs> we, we we spoke before, and I can guarantee you she's fully committed. Like, just just lift your little microphone up. Look at that. We are. Look at that. We we're, we're 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 professional here, you know. <laughs> but listen, as always, like you know, if there's anything I could do to help, you know, if there's anything you need, just 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 let me know, man. Um, uh, I just think what you're doing is amazing. I'm really excited about your podcast. I'm really excited about all the stuff that you're doing. I feel like it's going to make a big impact. And my hope is that it encourages people in other counties to do something similar. You know, just one question before you go, though. Amber Lights, explain that. Because that's not your actual name, is it? <laughs> no. Um. So obviously I am Amber, but I wanted to do Amber Lights. So I'm shining a light on homelessness in Oxford. Um, Love it. And I also believe, and Hannah also believed, that when someone passed away, they became the brightest star in the night sky. So I always think that lights is another little nod to her as well. Um, <laughs> I'm going to end that there before I start crying. <laughs> but listen, thank you so much for your time today. Um, as I said, I think you're amazing. I, I'm super proud of what you're doing. I hope you are. And um, like I say, anything I can do to support you, I'm there. Brilliant. Thank you. No worries. Take care so that's all from me for this episode thanks again to my podcast producer charlie from chatter podcast and i'll catch you next time for another episode of the self-development podcast